was a widespread uh, disease. We call the first golden age of malaria control. Between 1955 and 1970, the world came together and made a huge push to try to get rid of malaria. The most important challenge at this point in time is very clearly to sustain now the enormous gains that we have done. Hi, this is Karin Weiss and welcome to the Medicus Mundi Switzerland Health for All podcast. And today we talk with Professor Christian Lengele, who is one of the leading specialists in malaria control worldwide. Christian works at the Swiss Tropical and Public Health Institute and is the president of the Swiss Malaria Group. He has over 30 years of experience in research efforts on the epidemiology and control of tropical diseases, especially on malaria. We will talk about his passion for malaria and the current situation with the COVID-19 pandemic. Hi Christian, it's a great pleasure for me to interview you today. Welcome to this episode. You have a long-standing professional experience in the fight against malaria. Why are you so passionate about malaria? Well, as a young scientist, I was sent to Africa for four years in a very remote place, which at the time was very uh, endemic for malaria. And I could see really in front of my own eyes the children dying in the hospital in very large numbers. So I think the motivation was very hard from the, st from the start. Have you ever suffered from malaria? Uh, yes, I had it actually twice. Uh, the first time wasn't too bad, but the second time I was very nearly in coma and extremely sick. So uh, I can also say that it has become a personal enemy as a result. So it was life-threatening for you at that time? It, I would have been dead within 12 hours without treatment, no doubt, yes. When does it become life-threatening? Well, that's not entirely understood and it de depends a lot on whether you are a child, an adult, whether you have grown up in an endemic area and therefore have some immunity or not. But for somebody like me, without immunity, uh, coming into malaria endemic area, if you get malaria, the chances of dying from it in absence of treatment would be at least 20%. And once you get into severe uh, disease, then it's nearly 100%. So the risk is very, very high. There have been a lot of gains in the fight against malaria, thanks to a lot of control measures such as insecticides, treated nets, indoor spraying, education, a better treatment. Why do we still have such a high mortality rate in children dying from malaria? Well, that question has two answers. The first one is that uh, 1990, when I started my career, nothing was happening in the field of malaria. And for 10 years, there was no program, uh, progress whatsoever. Then 2000 marks really the start of an extraordinary development in malaria control, like in HIV control, like in all these problems. And by 2015, we had made fantastic progress. So about two-thirds of mortality and two-thirds of the cases were prevented by then. So uh, in some ways, it's a glass half full uh, because we have made an extraordinary progress. But there are still 400,000 deaths per year from malaria, and that's obviously still a very high burden. And now we are in the middle of a pandemic and COVID-19 is hitting us hard. When the 
pandemic started, the World Health Organization warned that incidences in malaria will rise dramatically due to the lockdown measures. How do you see the current situation with regards to malaria? Well, I think this is really an area where we have very good news. Uh, one year ago, uh, even our institute participated in the effort to model potentially the effects of COVID-19 on, on malaria control and child mortality. And indeed, there were some really worrying uh, aspects. Since then, a year late, later, we know two things for sure. First of all, COVID is not nearly as severe in Africa as it is in, uh, in, in Europe. So the consequences for health, the health system, etc., have not been nearly as bad as they have been in Europe. And for all we see, there have been slight delays for some campaigns of mosquito nets, for example. Uh, some weeks to a few months, uh, health services were weakened by uh, COVID patients and the fear of COVID, etc. But by and large, we don't see a very important aspect. So really, here I can say things have gone much better than we uh, feared one year ago. That's fantastic. But we still can say that symptoms of COVID and malaria are similar. And people in Africa were advised to stay at home in case of fever, which prevented many to seek help in the hospital and others avoided the hospital out of fear to get infected with COVID. Can't we assume that the death toll of malaria patients have gone up? Well, we will see when we start uh, re-measuring child mortality, which is not something we can do continuously. We do it from time to time and we only know then the, the real effect. But we haven't heard of a, about a major uh, shift in, in, in mortality in children. And you would see these children in hospitals, etc. And they're simply not there. So I think uh, the fear is not warranted, I think, or largely not warranted in Africa. In Brazil, it's a totally different uh, scenario, of course. Um, and how this is possible, we don't really have a good explanation for that. But certainly the, the, the incidence rate of malaria fevers because of all the control efforts have, has gone a lot lower than it was, maybe 10, 15 times lower than 15 years ago. So there isn't so much malaria around anymore. So I think the damage that can result from that is definitely not all that big. But I remember when I used to be in Africa, everyone said when you have a fever, it's most likely you have malaria. If you have a fever, so it's not malaria. You should never say that, but the likelihood that a fever is malaria in a small child has gone down from over 50% uh, 20 years ago to now well below 10%. So I think this automatic reflex is really not something uh, that, that is true anymore in the same sense. And to the extent that we are doing now uh, um, campaigns to remind people that not every fever is malaria, and there is also meningitis, there is also pneumonia, and we should not forget about these other problems. So uh, this is another of the really positive developments that are simply open now new ways that we need to do the, 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 the business. But a mother with a, fire, a, a small child that has fever should still think about malaria, but it's the likelihood simply not as high anymore. Anti-malaria drugs such as chloroquine have been used for the treatment of COVID-19. Did this lead to shortages in drug supply for malaria prevention and treatment? Uh, not that we know of. There is really 
very few disruptions in the supply lines for all we can tell. Of course, uh, nobody tracks that in a very systematic way across the, the 100 endemic countries in the world, but we have not heard that there are major problems. So let's move to Tanzania. You've been working for a very long time in Tanzania. What do you do there? Well, our work has shifted a lot over the years. Uh, in the 1990s and all until about uh, 2005, a lot of the, re of the work we have done was research. Research on malaria, on the best treatment, on access to treatment, on prevention with mosquito nets, etc. And from 2004 uh, onward, uh, the, the work has very much shifted to supporting the National Malaria Control Programme. And we have done that now for nearly 20 years, uh, thanks to the generous uh, support from the Swiss Agency for Development and Cooperation. Uh, we are still doing that. So we have a team of about 10 uh, health specialists based in Dar es Salaam who support the national program in a number of ways. And just to give you a little bit of a, um, an idea of the size of the program, it's, it, it has a value of over 100 million per year. So it's a very large national program. It really touches every Tanzanian with both prevention, mosquito nets and, and indoor residual spraying, and also improved case management. And finally, we have a lot of work also going on in the area of data and better understanding the epidemiology of the disease. And how is the situation in Tanzania right now? The situation is uh, heterogeneous. Uh, the difference with 20 years ago, 20 years ago, there was malaria everywhere at a very high level. As a result of control efforts, in some areas, malaria has virtually gone down to elimination levels. You take, for example, the whole central area, which is very dry in the country, around Dodoma, Shinyanga, or the northern areas around Arusha, you will struggle to find a malaria case still. While in other areas, like, for example, in the, in the southeast and in northwest uh, along uh, Lake Victoria, incidence rates are still very high. So there's still a lot of malaria. So the mosquitoes have disappeared? Yes, the mosquitoes have been greatly reduced by the intense use of mosquito nets. Uh, that's certainly uh, the case. Uh, and transmission also depends not only on mosquito, but also of how frequent the contact is between mosquitoes and people. And that's where we have made a lot of progress through mainly the use of mosquito nets. How does the COVID pandemic interfere with your projects in Tanzania? We have seen a delay by a few months of the uh, a national campaign to distribute uh, mosquito nets. But this is not catastrophic. It's, 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 it's annoying, but it's really not a major issue. Uh, and we have seen at some stage, especially in May, June last year, uh, um, a closing down of a number of health facilities. But closing was very temporary. It was literally a few weeks and then everything reopened. Uh, it was more due for psychological reasons because everybody was afraid of the pandemic and then it was very obvious that it wasn't as bad maybe as people thought and eventually uh, life returned to normal. And how is the work you're doing right now? Does it affect your way of working because you cannot travel or have you been able to travel to Tanzania? Well, I've been able to go twice uh, last year to 
to Tanzania because traveling was authorized. You had always to make PCR tests to prove that you are negative to get on a plane, etc., and on a return as well. Uh, but uh, of course, we have done much more telecommunication, like in every other uh, aspect of our lives, and also we uh, we have a team on site, and of course, they had uh, times when they were all in home office. They are currently all in home office because we have again a second wave going with this new South African variant uh, in Tanzania. But for most of the year, it was pretty much business as usual. Let's move on to some other questions. As part of the Sustainable Development Goals, all countries have committed to end malaria by 2030. Is this goal still within reach? Uh, well, first of all, uh, the Sustainable Development Goal 3 says we should reduce malaria, HIV and, and the big diseases uh, to a very large extent. It doesn't talk about elimination. Uh, elimination is defined by other targets that uh, mainly the World Health Organization have set. And the target is somewhere between 2040 and uh, 2050. But... Uh, an important part of the SDG3 is the reduction of child mortality to very low levels and concretely to lower than 25 per thousand. Uh, in the last 20 years, child mortality has, has gone down from around 150 per thousand to about 50 per thousand. So enormous reduction already. And now the aim is to go from 50 to 25, which is halving and that evolution is now a little bit plateauing off and it's unclear whether we are going to uh, be able to, to achieve uh, the SDG as opposed to having reached very easily the MDG. On the 25th of April, we celebrate the World Malaria Day. Why is it so important to celebrate it this year? Because each year it's important to remind the world that we still have uh, nearly half a million deaths from malaria, from a disease that's actually very easy to, to treat and deal with. There is no excuse for the world to still have malaria. It's important also to remind that in Switzerland uh, and, and World Malaria Day is used in Switzerland, as in endemic countries, to really remind everybody of the problem, uh, boost political support, uh, make sure financing is forthcoming, uh, etc. You are the president of the Swiss Malaria Group, which advocates for a malaria-free world. What is the role of the Swiss Malaria Group with the upcoming World Malaria Day? Well, the Swiss Malaria Group is the group in Switzerland that links all the actors who work on malaria. So it's, it's uh, the academics, uh, but it's also the private industry uh, like Novartis and Syngenta. It's uh, non-governmental organizations such as Solidarmed or the Swiss Red Cross or Terre des Hommes. Uh, it's the government, so the, the SDC, Swiss Agency for Development and Cooperation, is part of, of the Swiss Malaria Group. And uh, we also have a number of Geneva-based international organizations. So really everybody who has an interest, uh, even remotely in malaria, is part of that. And so we act as the one organization coordinating all the effort for Switzerland. If you had all the means to fight malaria, where would you start? Well, that's that's a really interesting uh, question. Um, 
Paradoxically, I think in terms of malaria-specific activities, it's my view, and I know it's not shared necessarily by everybody, but that we have largely the means that we need to do a pretty good job. But we don't have the means to eliminate malaria, especially in the highly endemic areas in, in, in Africa. For that, we need newer, new tools that, do, that operate differently, that are added to what we are doing already, and that definitely is going to cost more money. And raising funds for these additional tools, once they are ready, they are not even ready yet, but once they are ready, this is going to be important. strengthen health services generally. So united, uh, universal health care is as much also a malaria control uh, enabler as for every other disease and condition. Thank you so much for this very interesting talk and for being my guest at the Medicus Mundi Health for All podcast today. Okay, thanks very much, Camille. This was the Medicus Mundi Switzerland Health for All podcast with Gachin Weiss. You can listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and on our website. To spread the message, please leave a comment on our website, share and like it. This was the second episode of the new malaria season. Stay tuned and watch out for the next episode where we will talk about the impact of malaria on pregnant women. Music